Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. We do welcome you to this week's edition of the Lone Star Podcast. We always enjoy studying the Word of God together, usually by telephone from the land of Israel to the great state of Texas. Rabbi, hello, my friend, and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much, Pastor. Always great to be with you. We're going to get into this week's Torah portion called Lech Lecha, Go to You, the meaning of it in Hebrew, and it comes from Genesis chapters 12 through 17, a very important portion of Scripture. Lots of theology we can learn for both Christians and Jews in these chapters, and it starts with a very important biblical character, Avram and Sarah. His wife, Abraham, will be his name later on. And tell us the name of the portion has a very specific meaning to you. Absolutely. The name of the portion is Lech Lecha, which is God's uh, telling Abraham to pick up from his hometown and go to the land of Israel. And he uses that terminology of Lech Lecha, go to you. Why didn't he just say go to the land and go to you? means, according to some of the commentaries, go to find yourself. You can only be your true self in the Holy Land, in the land of Israel. You cannot be your true self living in the diaspora. And that's the lech lecha. You, you hear the meaning of why God wants Abraham to go to the land of Israel. At the end of last week's portion, it was Genesis 11, verse 32. It says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan and they went as far as Haran and settled there and so we mentioned in last week's portion that Canaan who is one of the grandsons of Noah is the man who owns the territory so that's why it's called the land of Canaan and so Abram leaves probably modern-day Iraq, and travels a long way, and he ends up in the land of the Chaldeans, from the Chaldeans to enter the land of Canaan, and he gets as far as Haran. And now we get to chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Rabbi, I want to talk about verse 3 a lot because it's really the, the foundation of what you and I do together. But let's don't get to verse 3 yet. Let's do verses 1 and 2. The Lord says to Abram, get up and go, and you travel until I tell you to stop. He doesn't give him the final destination. He doesn't give him the GPS coordinates. He says, obey me, walk with me, and trust me. It's really an incredible moment for Abraham. Remember, he's also older at this point. He's not a young kid, as people might imagine. He's in his 70s. And God just says, follow me. 
and Abraham does that. And by the way, some commentaries say lech lecha, that second word actually means go if you want to. I'm not forcing you to, I'm giving you an opportunity. And I hope that you take advantage of it. And Abraham says, wow, wow. God is giving me an opportunity. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's ahead, but I'm going to follow that path. And what a tremendous lesson for all of us. We never know for sure where things are going to take us, but we can follow God's lead and know that things will go into a good place. He says, leave your country. That's the more distant or the outer ring of the concentric circles. Leave your relatives. Leave your father's house. So now we're getting to the closest relationships in the concentric circles. And then the Lord makes three promises here. First, I will make you a great nation. Then he says, I will make your name, I will bless you, and then I will make your name great. So three different promises here that always reminds us of the principle that we teach in our church so much, which is blessing always follows obedience. This is something which I've heard from you many times, Pastor, and God just lays it out here so clearly. He just says, follow my way, and look at these incredible blessings that are going to come. There's no other place in the, in the Torah and the Bible where it says it more clearly and succinctly. And I think at the end of verse 2, it says, so you shall be a blessing. I think this is a promise, but it's also a command. Go out and be a blessing. Find ways to serve God. And one of the best ways to serve God is by serving and blessing other people. So it's not just a promise of a future state. It's an assignment. Go be a blessing. Absolutely. It's not just for ourselves, but it's to give to other people as well. The goal, by the way, of the Jewish people being in the land of Israel is not just for our own benefit, but the whole idea is to bring tremendous blessing to the world. That's the goal. And uh, it's not a goal to itself just to be here, but it's to be that light into the nations and to bring it everywhere. So now we get to Genesis 12, 3, one of the most important verses I believe in the Bible, one of the most important verses in my own life. The Lord says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so if you believe that God makes a covenant with the Jewish people, that that covenant is everlasting, then you believe it is still in effect today in the 21st century. And we who are non-Jews have the opportunity to either bless or curse God's chosen people And if you go down the history textbooks, whether it's the people in the Spanish Inquisitions or the Crusades or the Nazis or go down the generations, Haman in the book of Esther story, you go down the list of people who have cursed the Jews, God kept his promise and they were cursed. Conversely, if you look at people who have blessed the Jewish people, they've been blessed. So Rabbi, I believe Genesis 12, 3 is still in effect today. Absolutely. We've definitely seen this play out. We've definitely seen this is something which is very real. Uh, We've seen it play out with those who support Israel, and I have no doubt that it'll continue to happen. And it's uh, one of those opportunities to see things that the Bible says and prophecies and promises that are still coming true. And I'm going to give you a chance to talk to our Christian audience. A lot of them are part of our church family, but there are other Christian audience members all the way around the world. And tell them as a Jew about Christians who are living out Genesis 12, 3 and what that means to you and what you've observed. I've seen, first of all, 
Israel is a country which is very isolated in the world. Uh, certainly, we receive a tremendous condemnation from the UN and uh, certainly European leadership. And uh, we've discovered, I think, over the last uh, decade, 20 years, that there are hundreds of millions of people, of faith-based people, Christians around the world, who love Israel, who see the prophecies, who believe in the prophecies, who believe that it's our land, and we're so blessed to have them as people who support us. And I don't have a doubt that each of those people has seen blessing come to their life after they've decided to start supporting Israel. I know of stories of people who made a decision to make Israel a part of their lives and supporting Israel a part of their lives. And all and they, they were blessed afterwards. Tremendous success and tremendous changes in their lives. And it's not miraculous. It's just the fulfillment of exactly what these words say right here. The beginning of verse 4 is very important. We read the commands from the Lord to leave your country and your relatives in your father's house. Abraham has to decide, am I going to obey the Lord or not? And it says in verse 4, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. As you said, he was 75 years old at the time. But the question for us is, will we do Genesis 12, 4? Will we go and do exactly as the Lord has spoken to us? And that's the challenge. Uh, certainly for you know, all, all Jews, uh, there's a challenge of not just in the day-to-day lives, but I would say even with the land of Israel. Uh, you know, are we going to make Israel our homes? This is something which, uh, not you know, while on the one hand we, we celebrate Aliyah and people who move to Israel and make Israel their home, uh, the entire Jewish people have not picked up income. And uh, one could look at that as a failure if you read these verses and see what God uh, expects from us. And uh, maybe there's a lot more blessing that's there to come if we do follow uh, this command and this guidance. As we continue going through Genesis 12, Abram takes Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions and all their persons, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And now we get to verse 10. There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land of Canaan. And this, I know, has to be a precursor of the story of Joseph, and he ends up in Egypt because of his brothers selling him into slavery, and then there's a famine and the people have to come down. So this is a preview of what is to come, and it happens specifically in the life of Abraham. Absolutely. And this is something which, it's a preview. We have a concept called Maaseh Avot Siman Banim. What happens to the forefathers happens to the children. And we're supposed to follow their example as well. But it was also a tremendous test for Abraham. Here, God has promised him all these wonderful things. If he comes to the land of Israel and he makes the sacrifice and he makes the effort and he comes and all of a sudden things seem to be falling apart very quickly and the blessing is not there. Does Abraham at that point reject God or does he continue to have faith? And clearly we see that Abraham continues with his faith. But then his faith is challenged when Sarai, his wife, is a beautiful woman and he's worried that they're going to try to take his wife and kill him because she's beautiful. And so he says to her, tell them you're my sister, which is actually half true because she's a half sister. And then Pharaoh's officials try to take this beautiful woman for Pharaoh And the Lord finally says uh, that he stops this. Verse 17, the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. So Pharaoh called Abraham, or Abram still at the time, and says, Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Even those who are obedient to the Lord get their faith and their righteousness challenged every day. Are we going to stay true and be honest before the Lord? 
Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a challenge for all. It's a challenge at all times. It's a challenge which never goes away. We actually have a concept you know, called basically the, the range of free choice that you have, which switches as life goes along and as a person becomes even more righteous. You're always going to have challenges. They never go away. And it's a question of adapting and recognizing those challenges whenever they come. Now as we move into Genesis chapter 13, Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged with him, and Lot also went. And it says, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and gold. And he went from the Negev to Bethel, where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place on the altar that he had made there. And Abram called on the name of the Lord. I'd like you to to give us the Hebrew phrase, when it says he called on the name of the Lord, that sounds to me like an act of worship or an act of, of prayer. What does that exact phrase mean in the Hebrew, called on the name of the Lord? Pastor, it actually means exactly what you said, literally word for word, vayikra, and he called, b'shem, in the name of Hashem, of the Lord. And the commentaries explain that what is Abraham doing over here? He literally stood in public squares and called on people to accept monotheism. This was Abraham's mission in life, was to spread monotheism, to spread the existence and belief in one God. And he literally would go around the country and set up shop in different places and do this. Now, when he's doing this now, as opposed to when he first came to the land, he's in a much stronger position. Because now he's coming with all this wealth coming back from Egypt. He's now a prominent personality. People do want to hear what he has to say. He is a person of influence, and it has tremendous impact. And he develops more and more students of a monotheistic God. And that's how we understand what he was doing when he called out in the name of God. So Abraham is a street preacher? Literally, uh, I remember as a kid hearing my teacher discussing this, and very much so. But again, doing it in, a, in an interesting way. He had the ability to uh, inspire people. He wasn't a, a crazy man uh, on, on a soapbox in the middle of the street, but someone who people would gather around and really hear what he has to say. And if such preachers exist today with that kind of a following, then yes, that analogy uh, would actually work. And the rest of Genesis 13 is the story about the conflict between the shepherds and the herdsmen of Lot and those of Abraham. And so this is uncle and nephew. And Abraham says, he's still known as Abram in verse 8, let there be no strife between you and me or my herdsmen and your herdsmen. You choose, Lot. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the well-watered area, the fruitful area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it's a sign of the more powerful man, the older man, asking Lot, you get to pick. Which way do you want to go? I'll go the other way. I think it's a great sign of servant leadership. Tremendous leadership. And, and I'm going to go a step back for a moment and then come back to the leadership. A tremendous lesson is learned here because you would think Abraham has all this wealth. This is what everybody's aspiring for in life. How do I make my million? And you see that it actually led to problems. We have no evidence of any tension or strife between them until this moment. And now all of a sudden, now that he has all the wealth, the problems come in. It's worthwhile want to think about. We sometimes think that money and property and uh, objects and having a lot is the solution to uh, having a happy life. And it's actually not the case. A uh, happy life is being happy with what you have. 
and very often uh, additional wealth brings a lot of problems with it. But then, yes, Abraham shows that he understands that his wealth is to be used in the service of God and not to glorify himself. And therefore, when the tension does happen, he lets Lot choose. He says, I'm happy with whatever I end up with. You're younger. And he, he allows him to do that. And it's also a great leadership in terms of just conflict resolution in general. To always understand that if there's a conflict, let's figure out the best way to end it or whatever the conflict might be. And that's what we do. Because the goal of the leader was not to help himself, but to make sure that the conflict was resolved. Genesis 13, verse 13 says, The men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. And we'll talk more about them in a moment. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, north and south and east and west. All the land which you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust, then they can also number your descendants. So this is a renewal of God's covenant that we call the Abrahamic covenant promised land and you're living there in the land of Israel today because this promise was made to Abraham and so it's important to learn that God doesn't forget we forget so God doesn't repeat himself because he's forgotten the promise he repeats himself because in the struggles of life we forget his promises let's remember 2,000 years of exile uh, it can be very easy for us to have forgotten, but reading over and over again, slightly different ways, but the same message, that land is yours and it's you will be there. It's your land of destiny. That's something which kept people going for 2,000 years to come back here and to enable us to be here today. And that's a tremendous blessing. Let's remember Abraham also. Abraham is still going through life. He has no children. God has promised all these things for his descendants and he doesn't have any offspring. And God is just telling him, I'm God, stick with me, it's going to happen. And Abraham does so. You would have thought that maybe by this point, Abraham would have given up. But he stays with God. That's the first real man of faith. That's the person who's our forefather, who's established monotheism in the world. And his faith is so strong that it weathers all of these storms. But God still has to be with him. And God still has to remind him and inspire him that better times are coming, including children who will inherit this land. Now we look at Genesis chapter 14, and this is about the place that's called Sodom and Gomorrah, the place that's come to be known as a symbol of immorality and debauchery. And remember Lot, he got to pick which part of the land he would choose, and this is the land he did. And it was all around the Dead Sea, or what Genesis 14 verse 3 calls the Salt Sea. And it says in verse 10, the valley was full of tar pits. The king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and they fell into them after this battle. And these people also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and they took his possessions and they departed. So a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew, which I find is an interesting phrase. And then Abram went and took a party of soldiers to go rescue Lot and so what I want to ask you to do is comment on that phrase. It's the first time that I know it happens. Genesis 14, 13, he's called Abram the Hebrew. Pastor, we translate it as, as Abram the Hebrew, but the Hebrew word is actually Ivri. Ivri means over, which we, ref, we understand means crossing over the river. Abraham, with all of his wealth and with all of his leadership, 
is still viewed in this land as the stranger. He's the guy from over there. And now he's going to have the nerve to go and fight against these kings. But the greatness of Abraham is he knows that he has God on his side. And therefore, yes, he can be the one from the other side of the river. He can be the outsider. He can be the stranger. But he's going to do what's right. And in this case, what was right? His nephew, who, as you pointed out, Pastor, chose to live amongst wicked people, seems to have chosen a different path, but he's still a family member. And there's love of family. And Abraham gets ready to go to war and goes to battle as the stranger, as the outsider, to go against the local kings to save his nephew, seemingly chosen a different path than he has. Again, another sign of his leadership, another sign of his kindness, another sign of his determination to do what's right and to bring a whole new type of ethic into the world. So after the rescue mission that Abraham is on in verse 16, he brought back all the goods, also brought back his relative lot with his possessions and the women and the people. So after his return, verse 17, from the defeat of the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. And we get to verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him. And if we have to watch our pronouns, Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. So Salem is the ancestral name of Jerusalem. So this is Melchizedek who's in charge of Judea or the area around Jerusalem. And he somehow makes himself a servant of this man Abram and even gives him a tithe of all of his possessions. And he calls Abram, Abram of God Most High, El Elyon in Hebrew. Explain the story to us. So first of all, I'm so happy you pointed that out in terms of it being the area of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a combination. Jerusalem is a combination of two places or two terms. One is Shalem. Shalem means perfect, perfection, complete. And the other one we're going to have in next week's Torah portion, which is Yerah, God will appear. God will appear and perfect. Uh, but Abraham is in this region, which is going to help make up uh, the term Jerusalem. And Abraham has won this war. He is now the man. He can now take anything he wants. He can go home with even more wealth. And he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to take all the spoils. He wants to make sure that he doesn't have... He didn't do this for that purpose. He wanted to go, go save Lot and free captives. And again, you see his, his desire for what's right and not just to help himself. But you see from this story how people around him saw him as a man of spirituality, saw him as something special. They weren't Jews per se. They weren't necessarily following all his teachings, but they recognized there's something special here. Uh, this is a experience which I believe uh, sets the stage for the concept in general of respecting people of faith, people of spirituality, spiritual leaders. Even if you don't necessarily adhere to their specific teachings, we can respect people, spiritual leaders, and here we clearly see how Abraham is put up on a pedestal. What do you think the phrase in verse 18, Melchizedek was called a priest of God Most High? We don't have the ironic line and the Levites and all of that is coming much later. So what do you think this phrase means 
Melchizedek called a priest of God Most High. By the way, I don't even know if he was adherent to Abraham's monotheistic teachings. It could have been within some kind of a pagan construct, but he was a spiritual leader at the time. Now imagine this. A spiritual leader, a king, a priest who was in this culture in the land of Canaan at that time. If he saw Abraham in this light, it gives you a sense of how Abraham established himself as a leader. Because this was a priest of a lord of, of a god. He was viewed and revered by people around him. And he saw Abraham in this way. I really think it gives us a taste of who Abraham was and how respected he was, not because of his might. Most leaders at the time, it was force, it was violence, but because of the person that he was as he went around calling the name of God. Let's go to the beginning of Genesis chapter 15. It says, The word of the Lord came to Abram, saying, Do not fear, I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He said, Since you've given me no offspring, the one born in my house is my heir. And the Lord said, This man will not be your heir. But one who shall come forth from your own body shall be your heir, meaning obviously natural born son. And the Lord took him outside. And Rabbi, if I want to pause for a moment, I always tell our church what a cool thing. Genesis 15 verse 5, God took Abram outside. And I think it's really cool if God takes us on a field trip. <laughs> the ultimate the ultimate tour guide. You can understand Abraham, you know, we, we, we say man of faith, we say leader. He's also a human being, and he's getting up in age, and he doesn't understand what's the plan. I don't think he's a sense of, God, you're not going to do this, but he's asking, what is the plan? I'm not in a position anymore uh, to have children. Explain to me how this is going to play out. When it says that God took him outside, our commentaries say, essentially, he was telling Abraham, go outside of the box. Go outside of what you think the rules of nature are. I am God. I can do anything and I will do anything. And I will break the rules of nature in this case as well. I'm taking you out of the limitations that you have set for yourself and going way beyond that. Verse 5, God took him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars if you can. So shall your descendants be. And we get to Genesis 15, verse 6, which is one of the most important verses, Rabbi, in New Testament, in Christian teaching. Abraham believed in the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. And this is why we as Christians talk about being people who receive salvation by faith. We who were not born into a chosen people called the Jews, we are people of faith, we're believers in God, and Genesis 15, 6 is one of the theme verses that's carried out throughout the whole New Testament. We actually have a verse, the prophet Habakkuk, who says, uh, and the Talmud understands that he's saying, when it's all, all said and done, the most important thing to focus on is what we call emunah, which is faith. Yes, we have all the laws that we keep, and yes, we have the covenant which requires us to do so. And in return, God grants us with all of the blessings that he has promised and fulfills the prophecies as we're living today. But the most important trait is faith. The Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. And Abram said, how may I know that I will possess it? And then the Lord tells him to bring a three-year-old heifer and a goat and a ram. And Abram brings all these things and he cut them in half. And it says 
that a deep sleep falls upon Abram and the Lord reaffirms his covenant. And the Lord says in verse 13, Know for certain your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, which we know is a prophecy about the period in Egypt when Moses will lead them out. He said, I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. That will be Egypt. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. And it says in verse 17, it came about when the sun had set, it was very dark. There appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between the pieces of the animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. So it's a renewal of the covenant. But what I think is amazing here is this is not Abram doing the action. This is God himself doing the action of walking between the split animals. And Rabbi, you're going to have to help us with the symbolism of what is it representing when animals are sacrificed, split in two. First of all, what does that mean? And then the power of God himself walking through the middle. One hint that we're finding over here is that God is telling Abraham that the exile which they will go to is going to happen because of one flaw, and that is lack of unity. That's the animal split in half. And we know that we ended up going to Egypt because of the strife and the rift between Joseph and his brothers. That's what ultimately brought us there. We also know that the exile and the destruction of the temple happened, according to the Talmud, because of lack of unity amongst the people of Israel. So God is saying that is what is going to lead to it. I will work to bring you back together again. And God comes between them with the fire and he's there. And God says, I will be with you when you are in exile. While those parts are there, split apart, I will be with you through your suffering. But ultimately, I'll be the one who brings you together again as well. And I think there's no doubt in my mind this played a role in Abraham. He had ultimately Ishmael and Isaac to try to keep them unified because he knew that the ultimate exile and the destruction that would come was going to be because of those animals being broken apart because of the lack of unity that would be there. We're continuing to talk about the covenant that God made with Abraham, that he would have more descendants, more numerous than the stars of the sky or the sand of the seashore. And we get to Genesis 16, and he still has no son. And it's really hard to have grandsons and great-grandsons when you have no son. And so Abram and Sarah, his wife, take this matter into human hands. They make a human decision, in this case a disobedient or sinful human decision, and they have Abram have a physical relationship with Hagar, their Egyptian maid, and she bears a son named Ishmael, who becomes the ancestor of all the Arabs of the world today. And Rabbi, I think the lesson here is, A, will I trust God and keep faith even when it's taking a long time? And B, when I try to solve spiritual problems in human sinful ways, It will create more crisis than if I had just waited on the Lord. So it's interesting. I agree with all the lessons that you learned from it, but I'm wondering if this is a situation where there is a difference in uh, perspective between the Jewish and Christian faiths, because I'm not aware uh, within our tradition of a criticism to Abraham for taking this step. I'm not aware. We we believe that certainly at that time uh, they were allowed to have more than one wife. Never leads to good things. But it was allowed, and he felt that he needed to do something, and maybe this 
what God wanted it to do. If you look at the language that Sarah says, she actually says, maybe I will build from him. And the idea, even I've heard in terms of modern psychology, is sometimes there are women who are not able to have children, and then they adopt a child as a child around and somehow psychologically they're in a position where they're able to conceive a child. Maybe they were thinking along those lines. But within our tradition, very little criticism. But yes, you definitely see an outcome which was not necessarily the most favorable unless you want to link her success in having Isaac to the step they took. Maybe God seeing how much they wanted to make it happen. And in that merit, they were able to have Isaac but definitely are difficult challenges that come from this decision. Well, that is an interesting difference because our teaching is they didn't wait on the Lord. They didn't trust Him. Their faith ran out, if you will. And so they decided to take a step that it doesn't appear God sanctioned. And they went outside of God's plan to try to solve the problem of being childless. And we call that an act of disobedience, an act of rebellion even. And therefore, the consequences that come are an act of that disobedience. I'm fascinated by it, first of all. And as we prove to each other every week, we learn something new. I'm actually going to do a little searching to see if there are any sources in our tradition which uh, criticize Abraham and Sarah for the step. But either way, either way, the message that God will fulfill his promise and God was true to his word is one which we have to be inspired by and make a part of our lives as well. We'll move now to the final chapter of this week's Torah portion, Genesis 17. The last verse of chapter 16 is that Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. And the first verse of chapter 17, it's been 13 more years. Abram is now 99 years old. The Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty. In Hebrew, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Avram. Your name shall be called Avraham. I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. And then God repeats the covenant again. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. This is 17.7, to be God to you and your descendants after you. And so, Rabbi, in our teachings, we say, number one, that everlasting either means everlasting or it doesn't. And if it does, then the people who stand up in the United Nations or, sadly, in some Christian churches today and say God's broken his promise with the Jewish people regarding the promised land, you're saying that everlasting doesn't mean everlasting. And then the teaching that the name change is, my Jewish friends have taught me, that holiest name of God, yud Hey vav Hey, that God took one of the Hey, one of the H's out of his name and put it into Abram's name and Sarah's name. So he makes a covenant, an everlasting covenant, and he seals that or demonstrates that by giving these two people part of his own name. Absolutely. You, you, it's basically a statement of God saying, I am with you always. We're not two separate entities. And that, connect, that connects beautifully to the everlasting nature of the promise. Because if God is with you in this intimate way, it's not going away. He'll stay with you through everything, no matter what you experience. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, how do we survive everything we survived? Inquisitions, pogroms, holocausts, 
God was with us. He, he made himself a part of Abraham and Sarah, and that made himself a part of all of us. And that gave us the spiritual capacity to withstand everything that came our way. And once we were able to stay true on the spiritual level, uh, certainly we were able to uh, withstand everything that came our way on the physical level. And that's why it is everlasting. And I so agree with what you said about those who reject that. It's so clearly an issue of true faith versus either false faith or no faith. Because if you are true to faith, you cannot read these words and not understand that Israel belongs to the Jewish people. And you cannot study the prophets and study history and not see how God has made this miracle come true. We said that God gave Avram the new name Avraham or Abraham. He does the same thing for Sarai in verse 15 of Genesis 17. You'll not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. I will bless her, verse 16, and I will give you a son by her. And then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said, Will a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90, bear a child? And Abram said, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. So this is the next generation of the Jewish people, the eternal covenant from Abraham, soon to be Isaac, and then later to Jacob. And I remind our listeners that the Hebrew word for Isaac, the meaning is laugh or laughter. And I think it's two parts here, Rabbi. They laughed initially about this can't happen. It's impossible. We're too old. But then it became a laughter of joy and thankfulness after God keeps his promise. Absolutely. And I'll go one step further. Laughter is often our response to the unexpected. If you think of slapstick, you think of you know, certain uh, clips that I'm thinking about. We laugh at the unexpected and the entire story. Abraham having a child at 100, uh, Sarah at, at 90, the existence, uh, the survival of the people of Israel through all that we've gone through, it all doesn't make any sense. It's unexpected. That's also part of that laughter. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit into any plan. And that's because it's God. And once it's God, it doesn't function within the rules that we have. And let's remember, Abraham is still discovering God. He's the first to have done so, and he's still learning. And now God is teaching him, yes, at 100, at 90, I'm capable, or I run the world in a way in which I can make anything happen and will make anything happen to fulfill my promises. And we come to the end of this week's Torah portion at the end of Genesis chapter 17. And Ishmael was 13 years old, and now Abram is 99 years old, and they are circumcised as an act of obedience, as an act of sacrificing yourself to demonstrate your devotion to the Lord. So teach us a little bit about reasons behind circumcision and why this is a symbol of obedience and faithfulness. One of the concepts is that we're not born perfect. We're actually born imperfect. And we're the ones who have to take the step to make it perfection. And that's one of the message, messages behind it. And we understand that that act in and of itself distinguishes us as well, certainly from the pagan world, 
uh, remember that uh, that was very important at that time to make that distinction. And the pagan world was not circumcising. And this was a clear, clear statement saying we are different. We are not going to be marrying one another. We're not going to be creating future generations together. But it has to be monotheists with monotheists and Abraham's children uh, with Abraham's uh, students uh, continuing the faith. That That's the only way it can work. Uh, so you make that sign as well. And that's part of the message of the circumcision. Uh, it is something which we do today. Uh, I, later on, we'll see in the Bible that it's commanded to be on day eight. And certainly those who uh, have not had one do one at a later stage as well. And, and Rabbi, we've had some technical difficulties on our interview, and we apologize to our friends for that. But we've talked all about the covenant of God and the calling of God on Abram and his obedience to follow the Lord. So sum up the teaching for us today. Well, this is an incredible portion where uh, Abraham emerges on the scene and essentially the people of Israel are created and such a source of inspiration to see how he withstands all the challenges. And even in situations where he fails, or, or some might understand that he fails, keeps going, keeps persevering, calling out the name of the Lord, teaching more people about it, knowing that his descendants will have this land and will make their impact on the world. It's certainly a message to all of us. We live through difficult times, and everyone has their own personal challenges, national challenges, and, and the message of Abraham is, is faith and perseverance and giving up uh, from yourself for others kindness. These are all things we can take with us from this portion. We are glad to bring you this study of the Word of God each week. The rabbi and the pastor getting together to study the Word of God from opposite sides of the world. And sometimes our phone lines aren't as clear as we wish they would be, so we apologize for that. But thank you, all of our listeners, for spending this time with us studying the Torah portion. And we say to you, my friend rabbi, and to all the listeners, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.